This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Oh, you're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Here's the thing. Bye. We keep hearing about it. We keep thinking that we should be doing it, prepping. What is it? How do you do it? Does it cost much money? Is it hard work? Well, to help me understand prepping, to help you understand prepping, and to get to know the culture of prepping and what is going on and why, we're joined this morning by Simon Fleck. Good morning. Morning, Rodney. How are you? Do you get this all the time? Do people just say to you, oh, I love your Irish accent? Uh, yes, I do, actually. It's probably one of my strong points in New Zealand is the accent. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? We just And there's some accents that are absolutely great, and there are some accents that we just adore. Well, I like the New Zealand accent. My wife's New Zealand, so you know, I I really like the New Zealand accent. It's much softer than the Australian. Yeah, well, we like to think so. And, of course, um, if you're a New Zealander, you don't think you have an accent. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't know I had an accent until I left Belfast. I know, it's funny. And my kids, we're living down south, <laughs> and my kids are starting to roll their R's, which is pretty funny. Ah, yes. Yep. Um, yes. Tell me, let, let's get into it. What is prepping exactly? Well, I would consider it that you're just prepared for any event that's outside the normal run of the day uh, activities that you may or may not face on a daily basis. So, for example, where I live, I prep for an earthquake. Um, we live on the main fault line that runs through New Zealand. And it's not a question of if, it's a question of when that big one's going to roll through. And so, prepping is just being prepared for those eventualities. So as do if, if you think I need to get prepared and I'm on the main fault line and I need to think about an earthquake, do you do a risk assessment of likely scenarios because where you are, yes, it's possible for having an earthquake, but there could be other things too, right? 100%. So if you're on the coast, you would look at tsunamis. If you're in um, the cities, you would look at uh, buildings falling, uh, debris, that sort of thing. My, my risk assessment here is if you survive the initial earthquake, I live in the Wairapa, so we have the Rimatucka Incline and three rivers up to Masterton, for example. So if an, if an eight comes through or larger earthquake, um, those three bridges are gone and that Rimatucka road is going to come down. And if you look at how long they've taken to fix the Manawatu road, which has been out of use for 10 years or something now, that's what you're looking at is actually the aftermath of it, not the actual. I mean, you can prepare for the actual incident as well by stabilizing things in your home and attaching them to walls so they don't fall on you and everything else. But it's more the after effects mm. when you've no water, no food, no electricity. Now, someone like me um, sails through life blissfully under unaware 
of <laughs> the risks yep. that are around us. And I recently, I'm living in um, Arrowtown, uh, down yeah. by Queenstown, and I was chatting yeah. away to a fellow, and he just casually mentioned, he says, well, what would you do if there's an earthquake? And I thought, oh, I hadn't really thought about it. And then he said, because this place is quite tricky because there's going to be one, and what will happen is the Crown Range will get knocked out, the road through the Nevis will get knocked out, and you'll be trapped. Yep. And you think, Oh my goodness, I never thought about that. Yep. And then and the then, Ardon and, and then and then when I thought about it, I didn't quite know what to do. <laughs> so you to help well, us. I, I th- yeah. Um I mean if you add on compounding factors for that too, because if you if you think of the uh, earthquake coming at the worst possible time, so in the middle of winter, because earthquakes don't you know, they don't just happen in summer. So if you were caught in that situation, you would have the compounded fact of a winter to face with no electricity, uh, no power coming in until that was up and running. And depending on how badly the rest of the country is affected would depend on when you get help. But there's 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 real easy things you can do to, to offset that. Well, let's that. just let, – we'll do that. But let's first of all – so the first thing you do is you look around – where you live in your environment and you think, what are my threats, right? Obviously, I'm not going to be affected by a tsunami. Yes, 100%. So I forget about a tsunami affecting me here. i got earthquakes. Now, let's just take your situation because that's the one you're most familiar with. You're on the Mm -hmm. uh, fault, so you're thinking earthquakes. What else could happen to you where you are? Well, there's always the threat of major, as we have seen in Gisborne, major weather events, from uh, rain and flooding, which are kind of different. Each event has its own particular set of prepping, if you like, preparing for that disaster. For example, in the flood one, it is you have everything ready to go in what we call Uh, go bags or grab bags and you just take as much as you can in a a flood event you take as much as you can you put it in your your car whatever and you get to high ground that's pretty much what i would do in that situation is have all of your uh, bank information the deed to your house all your important family information in one bag ready to go uh, and then your food, water, all of that pre-prepared, ready to carry, and you just load that in the truck and you drive to a high ground and you ride out the storm. Mm. What else could um, be a risk earth- where you are? Earthquakes? Fires is another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get fires coming through. Fire's probably a secondary risk as well from an earthquake. If there's there's a fire and the power goes out, then you know the fire brigade aren't going to get out to help you. Um, so fires you'd be looking at um, yeah weather events that would be I would say would be the three main ones yes uh, and of course or invasion or stuff like that are probably remote mm. but 
not unheard of because we live in you know precarious times. So uh, that that again is a, a completely different set of um, bets for that. That's where you'd have your wealth secured and easy to carry. I would say gold, and you need to just pick that up and go as fast as you can to somewhere where troops aren't invading or advancing. So, well, each, in- each different threat have different preps to them. So prepping for uh, floods is different to prepping to droughts. You've got me worried, Simon, you know, because... Um... We have witnessed in New Zealand in this last little while some terrific uh, catastrophes. Uh, I'm thinking, of course, the Christchurch earthquake, um, the Auckland floods, the East Coast uh, floods, um, Mm -hmm. COVID. And you realise, too, that our infrastructure and our government isn't is creaking along, hardly coping with normal days, let alone uh, a cataclysmic event. Yeah, I would say if there's a major earthquake in Wellington, it would bankrupt the country. It yeah. would just bankrupt the country. And another thing you have to look at is from from the point of view of depending on how far and up and down the country it reaches, like if the earthquake's big enough and it affects Nelson, uh, the top of the South Island, bottom of the North Island, even people in rural areas like I am uh, probably won't get help immediately because all of the help will be centred on Wellington. So you will have uh, emergency aid and everything obviously sent to Wellington because people will be under tons of rubble. And if it happens between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m., there's going to be a lot of people. And you're absolutely right, Rodney, in in your observation that the the country's creaking along. I don't think the health service could actually uh, cope with with uh, an 8 or higher coming in uh, to Wellington. Uh, It couldn't cope with the amount of injuries that it receives from it. Hence why being prepared and having your own first aid kit, your own knowledge of first aid will ease the uh, congestion on your your first aid and hospitals uh, until you can actually get people there. You can look after them. I have a, a very good friend who went through a traumatic time in the Christchurch earthquakes. Yes. And realised, I mean, like a lot of people, I guess he was suffering post-traumatic stress. Yes. But he realised how extremely vulnerable he was, and vulnerable in ways that you'd never normally think of, like just drinking water. Yes. And yep. so from part of his recovery, I guess, was to get prepared and he started going <laughs> prepping sites right mm-hmm. and um spending an inordinate amount of money 
and thinking of he had go bags everywhere, but just not yeah. one go bag. Go bag in the truck. Go bag here. Go bag in the car. He had drinking yeah. stores. He he was like the ultimate sort of Mad Max warrior, ready to go. <laughs> he became yeah. quite painful to be around. Yes, because I think partly you know trauma, but he had everything. He could talk about almost nothing else. Yes, and he almost became non-functioning because yes. he became dependent on having the right gear at the right time with an easy reach. Yes. So there's this interesting thing I observed. Now, he's he's at the other extreme. Most of us try to have a first aid kit, though I guess that's even less these days. Yep. So how do you prep for the unknown in a way that's affordable and sensible and allows you to live your life normally? Well, for me, uh, the prepping, the preps that I have uh, give me comfort of mind. I would rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And yes. I know that some people get obsessed. I mean, some people in, in you know, in the prepping community have like 30 years worth of food. Yeah. I can't argue with that. If that's, you know, if that's what they want to store, I can't say that, you know, that they won't need it because I can't foretell the future. Myself, personally, I have, you know, enough stockpile for a while, say. Um, certainly enough to do over a disaster of three weeks to six weeks, no problem at all. Um, but I, I understand what you're saying, Rodney, that some people, it becomes the be-all be and end-all of their lives. Like, they, they, that's it. That's just that. And I don't live my life like that. Like, I have interests outside. The prepping's just in the background to make sure that if something happens, that my wife and I will be able to uh, get through the, the, the other side of it, if you like. Because often it's not really the disasters per se. It's always the aftermath, uh, yes. especially diseases. It, the diseases are just, you know, if, if aid doesn't come, it's usually diseases that do more damage people than, than the actual disaster. How do you um, mean? why we have a lot of soap. Tell us about the disease. We'll get into it more and more, but just you mentioned diseases. I want to follow that up immediately. What diseases? Uh, so you've got dysentery is usually the, the first one that comes along from um, people not following proper sanitation, uh, which is why my we, we have a lot of soap on hand. That's your break. No matter what you're doing in the garden, as soon as you wash your hands before eating, that's the break. You don't you probably won't get dysentery if you're following good sanitation and good cleanliness. Typhoid's another one uh, from, I think it's from leeches or, sorry, lice. That's that's passed and that's usually from close uh, proximity. Maybe not so much in New Zealand now because people don't really carry a lot of um, lice on them, but certainly in other countries, if you're caught in other countries, uh, when a disaster happens because it's 
not just here that it happens, it might happen when you're on holiday. Um, but generally, I would guard against sort of diseases like that, communally past diseases such as um, cholera is another one. Anything to do with, with people not maintaining good toiletry yeah. or sanitation is going to be the one. Then you've got secondary ones from other creatures like rats coming in. You know, you have the potential to pick up diseases from the Wells disease. Uh, I'm having rat urine on open cuts. I know this is all good to be prepared, but it's a bit dark, isn't it, to be talking like this? Oh, I, I don't think so, Rodney. I think yeah? I think dark and light is a perspective. You know, I, my wife says a lot that, you know, um, when I talk about certain things, she, she would say to me, you know, oh, that's bum out or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I don't see it as that. I, I always... I always believe what Newton said, fortune favors the prepared mind. So if mm. we're prepared for these things, whenever stuff happens, then you're in a position to uh, ride it out. Yes. And I don't think they're darker. I mean, it, it's it's not a question of if, it's a question of when it's going to happen. And mm. these disasters, and I... Disasters, yes, they are disasters for families, and my heart goes out to them, but they're events, and the events just keep happening. They have happened since the dawn of time, and they're going to keep happening. So, And, and of course, what's, dif- best- what's different now, Simon, is when I think back to my parents' day, you know, getting married in the late 1940s and the 50s and the 60s and living rurally, they were by their nature extremely resilient and by their technology they were amazingly if you like prepared and independent because they grew food they knew how to kill a cow they knew how to do sanitation they had outside toilets Um, now we live in an urban environment even rurally we're basically living in urban. We flush a toilet and we expect it to disappear somewhere. Um, <laughs> yep. We turn a tap on and we expect clean, drinkable water to run out of it. We push a switch and expect um, to warm the house. And we pick up a phone and expect to be able to contact the entire world and get information. And what I've discovered is you get a Christchurch earthquake, you can't contact anyone. Yeah. You don't have clean a lot of people that I a lot of people I talk to um after these events give me tips and hints. And the first one was the Christchurch earthquake. I had friends in that as well. And apart from the shock and disorientation is the first thing because it's surreal. When you're in events like that, it's surreal. Now, I've never been in a major earthquake, but I've been in surreal events coming from Belfast. So the, sur- the surreal events, I might be able to handle them a little bit better than most other people. Um, after that, then you get the practicalities. Yes. Um, 
sticking in. And what I what I say to people now is, if you, if you want an idea of what it would be like to have no power, no water, it's a really simple exercise. You just go out, turn your stopcock off at the front of your house for your water, and you turn your electricity off for a weekend. And that will give you a good idea of what you will face when you have no water and no electricity coming into your house. Well, that that's that's extraordinary because the power goes off where I am regularly. And it's yes. the craziest thing because um, the lights go out and you think, oh, what's happened? I'll check on my computer. <laughs> I'll turn on the TV to find out what's yeah. going on. Oh, hang on, no. And I yeah. haven't got that. And yep. then you think, oh, oh, well, I might as well make a cup of tea. Oh, I've got no yeah. power. <laughs> and all these things yep. um, that you take so much for granted, you don't even realize. I don't even realize because it's such a, you don't even think about pushing a switch. You don't realize that your yeah. Wi-Fi's down, your your PC's down, your jug's down. You can't boil water to keep it clean unless you've got a little camp stove. And and after yep. each each of these events, I mean, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I didn't have a torch. Yeah. Yep. And and you know, yep. the first we're, step we're... first step for me to be a prepper was to have torches. <laughs> have a torch. Absolutely. And if, if you get a torch, get a radio, because another piece of advice. So the pieces of advice that I've, I've gleaned that are probably my top ones are have 20 litres of petrol on hand at any one time. Okay, now you talked about budget uh, prepping on a budget. You can do that, but there's certain things that you may have to, uh, in your budget, do without, say, luxuries. If you're having luxuries in your budget, obviously I'm just, you know, I don't know everybody's situations, but inside budgets, there's always room to manoeuvre. There's always room to manoeuvre in the budget. If you can, uh, have 20 litres of petrol on hand in your shed or your garage or whatever, because, uh, and some cash in the house, as much cash as you, you can afford to put away each week or whatever, even if it's only $2, you know, $2 a week over five weeks is 10 bucks. And the reason for that is because as soon as the earthquake happens or a major event happens is you've got no electricity, the ATMs and the petrol pumps go down. So you can't get any of those two. And what you want is cash on hand with your little dairy down the road to get whatever uh, goods they still have on hand, milk, butter, whatever it is, just for the next three or four days. And your well, cash, so, just, just you picking can, up, if I may, each point, Simon, and this is wonderful because this is like easy stuff um, yep. for us to get ahead around. But it would be pretty amazing nowadays how many households have no cash. Yeah. Yep. We need cash. We need cash. We and can't no one, and no one, views. yeah, no Sorry, one would my have own personal views. We we yes. can't go to a central bank digital currency. Digital currency is just insane. Uh, as I say, a major event 
you're not getting anything. You're not getting information. If you're all on your phone, you're not getting information in. You're not getting cash. You're not being able to travel. You're not getting any of those. You need cash in a society for those occasions when all that system goes down. And the more high-tech your system is, the more fragile it is. Yes. So cash, petrol. How much petrol should you have? And how? I know petrol goes off. How long can you keep it? Um, I generally rotate mine out about once every two to three months. I'll just take the 20 litres, pour it into our vehicle, and then go and fill it up again. So effectively what you're doing is... you're using the petrol, you're just offsetting the cost of it, if that makes sense. Like, you're still going to use that $20 worth at some stage. You're just offsetting it. Yeah. And the reason that you have petrol for is for two reasons. Uh, One, that's actually three reasons. One, you can get into your car, turn it on, and get warm if you're in the middle of a winter or a storm or something like that, and that'll warm you up. You can sleep in it. It's also, if your house is wrecked, it, it forms a, a barrier and a, sh- and a shell around you. It gives you that protection. You can charge your phone in it when it's running. So you're keeping yourself warm and you're charging your phone at the same time. And you can turn on the radio to get information coming in. Because when I spoke to people who were affected by Gabriel, Gabriel uh, one of the things that they... they one of the things that heightened their fear, and that's what we want to do is reduce fear. It's one of the reasons I prep, because it, it, not that I fear. I don't fear anything. I walk with faith in life, not with fear. Um, one of the things that I discovered talking to people was that they had no incoming information about what was happening, what was being done to alleviate their situations. Um, so that's a, an important link in your communications is not just communication out, but communication coming in. And if you don't have a car, then obviously you don't need the petrol. You could just keep a couple of batteries and a little transistor radio for that to get that information coming in. I mean, that's another thing, right? I haven't got a radio. Yep. I wouldn't even know how to turn my radio on and I mean in my car and find this you know I'm I'm not kidding I wouldn't know how to I mean I never thought of it like cuz oh I can't be bothered listening to the stupid news and yeah um, yep. but if there was a disaster you're quite right and of course you think oh well I'll go on the internet but you know the cell towers can be knocked out yeah knocked out yep 100% and that's what you have to factor in is... I'm going to have to tune my radio relying. in my car to the national program for a change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, well, where any, it is. Any information, <laughs> any information coming in would be, you know, good information in, in that in that instance. So, you know, I, I have a couple of radios. I have, obviously, a car and whatever else and petrol on hand. Uh, and cash, and this is, a little bit of cash. So. This is interesting, right? Because you don't have to be all in, like my friend, to get through three days to a week, right? So what we've Absolutely. established, what we've established is, it costs you no money to keep some petrol or diesel on hand because you're cycling it. 
it costs you no money to have cash in the house or in your wallet. It costs you next to nothing to have a radio with charged batteries. Um, mm -hmm. It costs you next to nothing to have a couple of torches. Yep. It'll cost you next what to, are the... to have water. Water's yeah, water. So after, I, I would say a lot of preppers, almost every prepper will put water first. I'm in two minds on this, whether to put water or first aid first. Um, you last a lot longer. You last a lot longer with no water, up to three days with no water, than you will with a main artery or, or a, you know, a wound bleeding out from an injury caused through the event. So, you know, take that as you may. I know, I know preppers will disagree on that, but first aid, I think, is very important. It costs next to nothing to learn first aid. You can go mm. into a charity shop and buy a first aid book for two bucks or three bucks. Um, tell me, tell me about, health. tell me about the first aid because, like, I've always had a first aid kit, but yes, there'd be, and I've done a first aid course. And I've forgotten it all because yes. it was when the kids were little. And I have yes. to say, I actually saved a life because something someone choked in front of me literally two days after I'd done the course. And I knew exactly yes. what to do. Heimlich. Yes. And the Heimlich maneuver. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And I yep. almost and I didn't hesitate because I'd come fresh off the course, but I all I actually need to do it again. Because if the same yeah. situation presented itself, I wouldn't be ready. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. top of mind. Hundred percent. So, and then the second 100%, thing is, Rodney. my first aid kit is sort of like band aids and insect repellent, <laughs> and you know, it's not. Oh God, I'm bleeding out of my main artery. I need to apply a tourniquet. Yeah. Uh, that's the main one right there is exactly what you just mentioned, the tourniquet. Look online and find out how to use a tourniquet before you need to, because that one will save your life. I know that the last first aid course that I went on, uh, they don't recommend tourniquets anymore, but um, the military still do. Uh, okay. The military, they actually designed a proper uh, self-administrating uh, uh, tourniquet that a soldier can put on themselves if they're bleeding out, and it's the number one thing that's saving soldiers' lives. Interesting. Or one of the main things that's saving, so I shouldn't say the number one, that's just what I've heard. Um, so yes, learn how to use a tourniquet. Um, and I think for most most occasions, your first aid kit's going to be fine, um, but just for people who are caught up that that one maybe a tourniquet yes. for 10 or 15 or 20 bucks or even just understand how to use a tourniquet with a belt or something like that or a piece yes. of a velcro strip or something like that just understand the principles of it so yes. that you can apply it because part of part of prepping is and i think this is where your friend and i would disagree i don't need every gadget for every situation or every piece of equipment for every situation. Part of prepping is being able to use stuff just at hand to fix things. Yes. 
Uh, and one of the examples that I use for that is that um, there was a first theater I was talking to many years ago and uh, somebody had a, a lung wound and you have to try and cover the lung wound and they just got a piece of, uh, they put a credit card over the wound and then put a piece of cling film over the top of the credit card and that sealed the wound. Isn't it interesting? So a little bit of imagination and Kiwis are good at that with the Kiwi ingenuity. You know, there's a lot of that in built into people that they can just make connections really quickly. I can use this for this. And saying that, proper equipment, by all means, if you can afford it, go and buy it. I'm loving the birds. I'm loving the birds in the background. Oh, can you hear them? Yeah, they're beautiful. um, I'm just out in my, um, my garden at the moment. Ah, it's so delightful. Now, tell me about water. How do I keep water? Well, water should store quite well. It's treated properly, and it comes in treated from your tap. So it's got um, chlorine in it to stop all your bugs and pests and your viruses and everything else. So it's pre-treated out of your tap. And if you just grab those and there's no light coming into them, they should be good to go for up to six months. I rotate ours out every three months. So I just, I fill up and I have on hand a minimum of about 120 litres and that's just drinking water. It's just for us to drink in the house. And we rotate through that. So a bottle gets emptied and we actually fill them at Petone. We get our water from the Petone aquifier. Or is it pure water? If it's pure uh, water, is it a problem? It will, pure water will last three months standing, no problem. Yes. Okay. Yep. Not a and problem. We've probably, we probably done up to four or five months on some okay. occasions with the water. The yeah. thing about water, Rodney, is you need to keep it out of sunlight okay. as much as possible because it's the sunlight that allows bacteria and algae to grow inside the water. Okay. Um, so if you haven't got that and you have to drink dirty water, then there's various means that yes. you can do to purify that water. You can yeah. you can strain it and then boil it. And I would always recommend boiling. There's okay. various uh, tablets that you can get from camping shops that under yeah. 20 bucks will purify or kill uh, bacteria and viruses inside the water, uh, in mm. which case then you just need to strain it. And you can just strain it through a, a cloth or something like that, like a towel, tea towel, as long as it's clean. What about, uh, and what about, purify it that way. What about going to the toilet? Going to the toilet? Um, I would recommend that you try and dig a hole either a reasonable distance from the house or as far from the house as you comfortably want to walk on a rainy night. And you use the use the long drop, as they used to be called. Yeah. Only this will be a short drop. Yeah. So uh, you just have a hole where... Do you dig the hole after the emergency or do you dig the hole in preparation? I would dig the hole after it. That's yeah. what I would do. I would just okay. dig the hole after it. Um, what about then, then... Sorry, carry on. 
Ah, uh, so there's there's that, or you can use a bucket and store them yeah. in buckets if you think it's only going to be three days or five days. Yeah. Until you know your sanitation systems come back on hand, or you can you can go for uh, number ones somewhere like the lemon tree. Yeah. And number twos, solids can go into a bucket with a bag. And then if you can get a fire going safely, you can just take the, the paper bag, that is. You can take the paper bag out with the solids in it every night and just throw it on the fire and burn it. And yeah. that'll kill. And that'll just destroy all all back to, I think it's 60 degrees. Okay. 60 degrees C or higher in human feces will, will kill uh, any bacteria or viruses or anything in, in your in your feces. Okay. What and then about... the great thing about that method is that can go straight onto your garden. Yeah. As fertilizer because there's poos rich in potassium and, and various other yes. byproducts. What about um, bodily cleanliness? You've got your drinking water, but you've just done a wet number wipes. two. Wet wipes. So yep. lots of wet oh. wipes. So you you could wet wipe antibacterial wet wipes, or if you have soap like we do, you can just use um, boiled rainwater. So you could boil rainwater for uh, washing your hands uh, and washing your body as well. Okay, because you don't want to be eating into your drinking water for... Uh, Absolutely uh, not. What if so we it have about 400, 800 litres of rainwater on the property that will be used for uh, washing dishes after it after it's boiled. So it needs to be strained and boiled, but that'll be fine for, even in an emergency, if you have something like a life straw, yeah. you could literally just stick the life straw into one of the, the outside uh, water tanks and, and just drink the water from it. What and you're saying, what you're, what you're teaching me, Simon, is it's actually just being a little systematic and it's not a huge inconvenience, all that you've explained so far, unlike my friend whose life revolves around being prepared for an event. Um, <laughs> yeah. I keep, I tease him, I tease him a little because I come up with more and more fanciful scenarios that he's got to rush off and prepare for. Tell me, um, what about food and the cooking of food? Um, various ways. I have various systems to cook food. First and foremost, I've got a, a wood-burning stove, which would yeah. be my first port of call if the house is wrecked and that's underneath uh, timber or you have to move in with a flood to higher ground, then you can just grab a cheap gas stove. I think they're about yeah. 30 bucks yeah. from various DIY stores and a packet of four gas canisters are about seven. So uh, for 50 bucks, you could get your gas stove and about four packs of four cans, and that should be enough to boil your water, cook your food, especially if your food's easy to prepare, like chunky soups. That's all you need. If you're, if you're going for three days, so there's, a, there's kind of rules in, in prepping, and I don't know where these rules come from, I mean, they're not really rules, I would say. They're, they're sort of standards. We'll call them standards. So your first standard is three days worth of food and water, and then move that up to three weeks worth of food and water. 
and then three months and then a year. That's what you're aiming for. So they're, they're your steps. Now, your friend would probably be in that category where he's doing years or whatever. Um, and again, I can't knock him for that. If that's what he believes for a play to him, go for it. Absolutely go for it. Because I don't know this what this world's going to, you know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow in this world. There could be a Carrington event, which is a solar flare from, from the sun. Um, I think it was in the late 1800s. They call it the Carrington event because it was recorded in Carrington, America, but it blew out electricity lines. It blew out, or not, sorry, telegraph lines. Uh, it interrupted the telegraph information wow. system that started fires along the lines and there's a lot of chit chat in the in the prepper community that if there was another Carrington event that it might take years for our civilization as it is so reliant on computer systems which are quite fragile to actually recover from that to get the infrastructure back in and everything else so I can't say that preparing for a year or two years is wrong and you, you just got to follow your own gut feeling. But bringing it back to uh, disasters, uh, certainly three days worth of food, and that can just be beans, chili beans, baked beans, whatever you want, or it can be tins of soup. Yeah. Something that's quick and easy to cook. And what about um, keeping, well, I suppose you, You've got your fridge and your freezer, say. What do you do with perishables? Do you quickly eat them, throw them away? What happens there? Like- yeah, uh, I'd, I'd have a party for the neighbourhood. That's what I'd have. Yeah. Freezer party. So yeah. everybody gets fed on the on the first day really, <laughs> really well. You know, um, And then it's baked beans and soup. And then <laughs> baked beans and soup. I tend to stay away from noodles. A lot of people pack noodles in like there's no tomorrow, but noodles have very, very little nutritional value um, to them. You can add nutritional value, obviously, if you go out into your garden and, and you have you know, kale or mustard or um, parsley, uh, wild foods like plantains and dandelions can mm-hmm. go into it. They can actually just go into anything to supplement your... your um, vitamins and minerals as well. It's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I've become a mad baker and I bake a yes. lot and I buy my flour yes. 300, 300 kgs at a time. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of baking, Rodney. That's a lot of baking. I bake every day. And I've now learned, Good on you. I've now learned how to bake on a charcoal fire. Brilliant. So I, I don't scones need, and stuff like that. Yeah, I, and I can bake bread yeah. on a charcoal, and I've learned how to make charcoal. Yes. And then I realized I didn't have much salt. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. I thought 300 kgs one. of flour. Man, that's a lot of bread. But then I realized within a, 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 a three weeks, I'd be out of salt. So, um, And, of course, salt's the easiest thing to keep. Yeah. But it's, it's non-perishable. It's like honey. Yeah. If you keep salt and honey, they'll never go off. Yeah. Um, and olive oil, I worked out because I love butter. 
and but I can get by yes. on olive oil. And I thought, well, olive oil will keep because I'm starting to think down this track, and I've missed so many things um, in the in the past. And it's that dreadful feeling. I was, I went to Christchurch just after the earthquake and went downtown. And I was scared, you know, with officials going through yeah. the city. It scared the living daylights out of me because I thought something could fall on me. And they gave us yeah. a hard hat. And I said to the guy, what use is this if a brick falls on my head? He said, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, 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 you know, one of those funny things, I've always wondered about a hard hat. I mean, it would stop a small stone, but if a brick falls on your head, you know, having a yep. little hard hat isn't going to help. Anyway, I went back to Newmarket where my office was, and I was walking down Newmarket, and everyone was just going about their business. And I'd seen this devastated city, and I just transported it to Newmarket. And I thought, you, yeah. got, you, you just look, I just looked at the world differently. But I have to say, because I didn't go through the earthquake, within six months or a year, I just parked it and got on with my life and forgot about that potentiality. Yeah. Yep. And that's the issue. I mean, you, you don't you don't have to... With... I think the problem with people is that they see things and they go, oh, yeah, it's never going to happen to me. Whereas I realize that I'm nothing special outside of being, you know, a person and an existence and observing whatever. But it's just as likely to happen to me as it is to anybody else. Yes. Because that's the world that we live in. Yes. It's the world we live in. Everybody thinks that, you know, and, and I say this quite readily to people, everybody, a lot of people, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people think that the world is all, yeah, rainbows and unicorns. And I look at the world as tectonic plates and meteor strikes. That's, you know, they're the biggest shifts in, in our entire history has come through tectonic plates, volcanoes, and yes. um, meteors. They're the biggest environmental shifts in our history. And there's no reason why a meteorite won't strike our Earth in two weeks' time uh, as big as the dinosaurs. As yeah. The one that, uh, you know, and it doesn't even need to be that big. It just needs to be big enough to alter the geopolitical power around the world. Mm. It just needs to be big enough to throw that little bit of ash, dirt, and whatever else up into the atmosphere. Because we've just experienced it over the last nine months with that. Is it the Hunga Tonga Hunga Pape volcano that went off at Tonga. And the weather that we have had, and this is just my own personal view, all that ash goes up, it has to come down somehow. Mm -hmm. And my yeah. understanding of uh, weather is that when there's dust particles or dirt in the, the atmosphere, moisture clings to it and cleans it out by rain. So that's why we have had this terrible summer. It's just that volcano going off and the atmosphere cleaning itself. But what that has an effect, and that wasn't even near us, that effect on New Zealand is people dying from floods, businesses you know, wrecked, uh, food production down. So even if you've prepped a little bit and food production goes down, it allows you to... Uh, 
travel through that event relatively unscathed. It mm. also means that, and I noticed this in, in the COVID lockdowns, as soon as we were locked down, I was actually home that day and I just nipped up to the supermarket to get a couple of extra things, not, you know, no, nothing major. And within 15 minutes, the whole car park was full of people and they were just like locusts and they just came in and they scalped everything. And what that does is those panic buyers, when they go in and they buy up all the bread, all the toilet paper and all the milk, the old age pensioner that can only afford a loaf of bread and a pint of milk per week can't buy those because she can't stockpile them. So prepping actually takes away that pressure of people who haven't prepared. They can go in and get whatever they need or, or, you know, whereas you've already got it, you take that pressure off old age pensioners and everything else that can only afford to live week by week. The heading on to a little sensitive topic. Mm -hmm. My prepper friend got to the point where once he was all secure, his worry became other people. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. They're called they're called um, werewolf preppers, and and yes. in prepper speak, people who will come in are marauders, or you know, they're just thieves. People who will come in and take your stuff off you. It's, yeah. Yeah. You're going to ask me how do you deter those people? No, well I am, but like I'm not asking <laughs> you. I'm not. I'm not asking you to get. Um, yes, I am. How do you deter? Yeah, okay. how, well, how, how, how do you say? Look, I was shocked by COVID. Yes, I never thought I would witness the behaviour that I saw in my neighbours and my friends. Yes. The vitriol and the nastiness, the discrimination that you have to do this or else. I had known that it happened in history. I had yes. thought that we had but got to never a, experienced it. I thought we'd got to a point in time and into a place where we would all respect each other. And to witness that that it could happen overnight shocked me. And I now look at people differently because I know they can all smile at you and say good morning when things are going well. But when things are going badly, uh, like at the supermarket to get toilet paper, (laughs) they would trample over you and an old age pensioner to get what they felt they would need. Yep. To get what they felt they were entitled to is the way I would put it, Rodney. Yes. Because there's, you know, there's a wider thing there that you're touching on in society about entitlement. Um, that I'm more entitled to that than you are, and I'm going to hurt you to get it. And I and I've seen it. I read a book, just as a side note on human behaviour. Um, and we have seen it. You look at any, you know, the, you look at any disaster where people are. Uh, I shouldn't say any disaster, but a lot of people, it's all about self-preservation, and prepping is about at the heart of it, self-preservation. You're just doing it, I believe, in a smarter way. Yeah. <clears throat> so how now, do you protect yourself? <clears throat> how do you protect yourself well, from more? 
There's various ways. First and foremost is you don't do what I'm doing right now. You don't put a big flag out on a radio station saying that you're, that you're a prepper. You just do it quietly. I'm just yeah. doing this because I feel that I need to talk to other people about it to yeah. make them aware uh, and, and give them guidance if they want it on how to go about it to start. Mm. Now, there's various ways that you can protect yourself and your family if if you know, I, I've done martial arts in the past and I would highly encourage anybody to go and take up a martial art. The one that I think is the best one at the moment, although I haven't participated in it because I just haven't got around to it, is jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. And if you want an example of that, just watch the first two years, I think it is, of the Ultimate Fight Contest when it first started. And the winner of that was a a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Hoist Gracie. Yes, exactly, Rodney. That's the one, Gracie. Now, if you know him and any of the listeners know him, you'll know he was one of the smallest competitors in there. One of the smallest and latest competitors in there. And he was taken down world champion karate uh, kickboxers and all the rest of it. Because and and I might add he, the Irish. He knew what he was doing. The Irish wrestler. Yes. Yep. And I, all, I know all this because. All, sorry. No, go ahead. You know this. I know all this because by chance, um, my school primary school age children have all taken up jujitsu and have done it for three years. Brilliant. Brilliant. Then get them around have, to your house. Yeah, I have to say, more than the ability to break a hold and run away or to put someone down and hold them, it's their mental attitude that it has changed. Because 100%. What, I, what I've noticed, and you'll know this for martial arts, I've never done it, but I've noticed that they get into a very, very awkward position uh, rolling where they're very uncomfortable a kid's got them around the neck and that they're getting locked up and it's it's you know they're struggling to start struggling to breathe well when that first happens you panic but yes. you quickly learn my kids have learned now not to panic to get what air that you can and to solve the problem And I have so loved that. I have noticed that that has translated into their everyday living. Like, you know, we take them tramping and it gets cold and wet and they don't, they don't need to give up because they know they can get through. And that's that resilience that you need, not just in terms of food being on hand, but actually a mental attitude that says, I will get through this. Yes. And you've hit, you've touched on the main core, I believe, of prepping is problem solving, right? Mm-hmm. All I'm doing is giving myself by prepping is extra things to solve problems with when they, they come up. Just touching back on cooking, uh, I also have a outdoor fire called an Oz pig uh, for cooking on, and that can be used with just solid wood, so so wood, 
so because my property is is quite wooded, I have a, a reasonable amount of trees. I have a lot of small branches on hand that I can just feed that, and it is very, very fuel efficient. You can not just cook on it, but you can actually get heat from it as well. It's, it's a great little. So if anybody's looking online, it's a bit expensive. But like you, Rodney, what I want to do is expand into baking as well. Yeah. So I can fit on top of the Oz Pig an oven. An oven comes separate from that so that I can actually make my own bread when, when the grid's down. Mm. Now, tell me, um, Simon. Oh, sorry. If, sorry. Yes. One, one last thing, Rodney, about protection. So the jiu-jitsu is non-violent because it actually uses somebody's aggression against them you, your, yes. your kids would know that that the they don't have to, to they don't have to hurt the other person they can just subdue them a hundred percent it's non-lethal as well yes and speaking of non-lethal deterrence um now this came to me quite recently and i thought this was a great idea if you want a non-lethal deterrent although it, it can be lethal but not intentionally lethal uh, is a fire extinguisher. Oh, tell me. Mm. So a fire extinguisher is a ranged weapon. You'll get two or three, maybe even four meters out of a fire extinguisher. And if anybody's being aggressive towards you, you can use that to calm them down a bit. What do, what effect does it have on an aggressor? What does it effect does it have well, on it, an aggressor? It takes the oxygen away from them and it gets in yeah. their eyes. So ah. they'll not be able to breathe and they'll not be able to see. And I'm not condoning and I'm not telling anybody no, no. to use that. I'm just saying that that is um, something to think about because it is, as you say, it's it's not like a knife. It's not like an axe. It's not like a cudgel or a gun. And, or a gun. Um, and somebody who has had, as I say, if you're nimble and that comes back to health and fitness, if you if you start that and you get health and you get fit, um, you can, you know, dodge, stay the distance while um, discharging a fire extinguisher. Yeah. Great. Now, tell me this, Simon. Listeners that are interested, where can they go to learn the list that we've run through for basic prepping? Well, there's there's various sites, and I would recommend the one that I really like because he's, he's really um, analytical in his breakdown of these things is one called City Prepping. City Prepping, C-I-T-Y. City, that's it, City Prepping. And he is really, really analytical about what he does very analytical about the mm. threats. Now, it's an American-based one. And, um, you know, obviously they have uh, similar threats in environmental and stuff like that. But there's a whole wealth of knowledge on this guy's channel. And right. to me, he's one of the best. He's one and of the is, best ones that I've seen on the is channel. Is that a web page or Telegram? How do you find City Prepping? Uh, YouTube, if you just YouTube City Prepping, right. you'll be in Okay, great. Simon also, Fleck, yes. Civil, civil, civil Defence civil defense is, a, is a great place to go to to just run through your checklist. Great. Torch, batteries, radio, food, so forth and so on. Isn't it funny that we have 
lost so much of like a radio. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. We always had transistors. And yeah. I wouldn't know where to go for one. Um, it's amazing. It, look, it's a wonderful thing. And um, I enjoy. Um, just on. Yes. Yeah, me too, Rodney. Thank you. If you have any questions or your um, listeners have any questions and you want me to come on and have another talk about questions that you get back, feedback that you get, happy to do it. Right. Well, we'd love to have you back, Simon. And I thank you because um, unlike my friend, you presented it in a way that I believe now I'll go out in the next couple of days. um, I'll be prepared that I could go three to five days, if you know what I mean, without yeah. any, without, yeah. without breaking a sweat, without breaking a sweat. I do, Rodney. I, I, I get that there is, and I see a lot of people who are way down the rabbit hole. And yeah. again, I can't say they're not correct. No, nor can me, I. And I got to tell you, I'm, it's hardly a rabbit hole I see that I don't feel like jumping down and having a look. <laughs> well, maybe we need to have maybe we need to have a talk, Rodney, about you know just talks about things because I'm exactly the same. And you know, I I find it hard to find people who, you know, I have a couple of friends that are well informed about all sorts of things. We don't agree on everything, uh, and it's not just prepping; it's about all sorts of of other topics. Um, yeah. So if if you want to have a chat, by all means, just right. you know let me well, know or. Yeah, because we, we live in an age where the maddest things have come to pass. Hundred percent, but they're nothing new. Nothing new. All been done before. All been done before. Simon Fleck. I'm actually. Yes. Yes. They've all been done before. Sorry, I was just going to say, I'm I'm just looking at the history of the um, East Indies Company. Yes. And the similarities between that company and what's going on around the world today, if you haven't looked at that, have a look into that. Oh, you'll, you'll see parallels to what's... Yeah, it's real interesting. Really interesting. Mm. Right, I will. Simon anyway. Fleck. That was Simon Fleck helping us to think about everyday little adjustments that we can make. Clearly doesn't cost a lot of money. Clearly doesn't take a lot of effort. But boy... Should we get blocked into Queenstown and get cut out without power? Very, very handy. Because, from you know, we realise it's not just us that we need to be looking after. It's our kids and our families and our immediate community. So thank you, Simon Fleck. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, radiocheck.radio. If you've got any prepping questions, please send me a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at radio. What a wonderful talk that was. What a wonderful man Simon was because it was something that I could follow. It wasn't like i got to go out there and build myself a shelter to survive a nuclear holocaust or something. It was just everyday things like, I'm going to get a transistor. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am.